What is going on, you guys? It is Dollar Cost Crypto here. With how the Fed's fucking us. <laughs> What's going on, you guys, man? It, I'm doing a solo show today. I'm going to be talking about a, uh, kind of what my thoughts on the market as well as um, kind of showing you guys what the Fed's kind of talking about. Jerome Powell had like a uh, pretty interesting interview about the economy that I'm, I, I kind of want to go, go with it, kind of play by play with you. I don't know if we're going to get the, the entire thing. But the first half is really good of the uh, the actual conversation and stuff. But shout out to my boy. Shout out to Crypto Boogie Man Chase. What's going on? J-Man, Angry Twinkie, Black Label X-Pact, Hanging Laundry, Marsilio, MJ, and Baron Von Crypto, man. What's going on, you guys? Let's go. Blue Jay, baby. Hit the like button. Subscribe. Hit the notification bell, man. We'll get this thing started, man. But... uh yeah, man, a lot of crazy things uh, have happened today and stuff. Like, actually, something really crazy happened last night. Uh, shout out to my boys, Fresh and Fit. Shout out to Myron and Fresh, man. They just hit a million subs. Shout out to the boys, man. Sheesh. Shout out to them, dude. They hit a million subs today. They're doing their million sub ch um, view. Uh, ch I think video today, and as well as they're gonna do like a big like a million subscriber party as well, influencer party. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So shout out to them, man. Uh, hopefully having them on really soon. But uh, man, what's going on in the chat, man? What's going on? Uh, Hex Jesus, <laughs> larger in charge. Hex Jesus, do you think Jerome Powell will be fired? No, I don't think so. Smash them likes. Uh, Hex Glenn, fire, fire, and then Glenn <laughs> Xquire with more fire. <laughs> yeah, but shout out to Fresh and Fit, man. Shout out to them, dude. They hit a they hit a million subs, man. That's crazy, man. There's only so many channels in the world that get to do that, and they're one of them. So, congrats to them, dudes. Uh, 
Jet X Squad, where's Charlie? In parts unknown. Not here. Not yet. But, um, yeah, man. So, I guess I'll start this off. I wanted to kind of go over what's going on in the market. Like, so you can share my screen right here on Nomics. So, so far right now with the, uh, so the Fed obviously increased the federal uh, funds rate by 75 basis points. So they just made it just a tad bit more expensive. So on average, it'd probably be like, in terms of, in terms of how much more expensive it would be to get a house as well as um, credit cards and everything like that. We're looking at probably 1% to like a percent, 0.25% in terms of like how much more expensive the loans are going to be just because um if they increase the rates by 75 basis points they obviously, they obviously got to charge a vig on that on top of that so you're at least going to get a quarter 25 basis point increase to another 50 boys uh, 50 basis point increase on top of the 75 that they, they just did when you're going out in the market trying to get money and stuff so obviously bitcoin's down very slight right now ethereum is down about almost three percent um tethers below a dollar oh my god sacrosaint what's going on <laughs> And uh, actually, one of the bigger losers today actually was um, uh, one of the bigger losers today was actually Hex. Actually, Hex is down thirteen percent. Um, I guess maybe people were trying to trade the news or something like that. But um, yeah, it was at like four point four cents, like even last night. And right now we're at uh, three point eight cents. So that sucks, but just is what it is. Um, but kind of to, kind of expected, honestly. Uh, I've been saying it for a while that I th I do think sort of like the buying of Hex and stuff from the Godwell I think was basically a not a ploy, but basically a way to kind of get Hex to a higher token price. That way, if it came down, it could keep the three cent level, which is pretty cool. So um, worst case scenario, we're probably heading towards like 3.1 cents unless we get some really bad news. We did we did have some FUD over the weekend that the um, the Hex movie was going to come out in 2024. That was a typo. It's still coming out in 2023, I believe, in quarter one. But there was like a lot of people losing their shit and, um, you know, um, Kinetics was asked on Twitter whether that was true or not. He said, no, that's, that's a typo. It's coming out in 23. Um, the movie, the, the Hex uh, Highest of Stakes movie just finished the orchestra piece recently, just in the last day or so. So once that's done, now it's about basically distribution and, and getting it on the right network like Netflix or any of these other uh, large uh, distributors of content and stuff. So pretty cool, man. I can't wait. I can't wait for that movie to come out. I think it's going to be very bullish for the price of Hex, but I do believe just because how long things are going to take, it's going to be more of a... Um, a 2020 yeah it's gonna be like a 2023 quarter one sort of deal so yeah you could you could take the screen down yeah but shout out to you guys man i won't say hi to the guys in the chat right now what's going on yeah j man market's not looking healthy hell no man uh how screwed is the uk very um market not looking good bang bang moon gang what's going on art Woo, cobra baby let's get it jet esquire it's time ladies and gents pedro lizamata with the bang bang uh do you think the lows are in i think the lows are in for the well the lows we got earlier this year yes the lows are in for this year doesn't mean the prices can't go down i think we are going to get the prices down a little bit in december i think i actually think november is going to be not bad for the prices we might actually even go up in, in november but i actually can see prices going down in december now um in terms of low new lows i if it's, they're going to happen i do believe they're going to happen in the first quarter so that's kind of what i'm seeing right now but um that's just ba but in terms of the lows now i do think because crypto is really the first thing that went down we are going to be the first thing that's up right as well as you can have coins and sort of things that happen that can just pump regardless of the market right like elon buys twitter and then now magically we get doge pumping a 2x plus and still holding and still holding on to a decent amount of its gains and stuff just because 
um, if Elon implements Dogecoin or even or Bitcoin into Twitter and stuff, which at some point I think he will roll out. I mean, it's it's all a net positive. So Elon buying Twitter is probably one of the better things that's happened for crypto. But I'm, I've also got like a, I, I wouldn't be shocked that he just goes like, oh, I don't like Doge anymore. And damn, that Doge gets nuked. So that would suck. <laughs> but um, so I want to show you guys a little video right now with the of Jerome Powell from earlier today and stuff like that. So if you share the screen for a second. Good afternoon. My colleagues and I are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. We have both the tools that we need and the resolve it will take to restore price stability on behalf of American families and businesses. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve and serves as the bedrock of our economy. Without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. In particular, without price stability, we will not achieve a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. Today, the FOMC raised our policy interest rate by 75 basis points, and we continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate. Gee. We are moving our policy stance purposefully to a level that will be sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2%. In addition, we're continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive stance of policy for some time. I will have more to say about today's monetary policy actions after briefly reviewing economic developments. Interesting. So they raised rates 75 basis points. Shout out to the boys who decided not. So I'm actually really like, I, if you told me if this was like DCC from earlier to, from earlier in the in the year, I would have said that they probably wouldn't have raised it in November. But as we got closer to the space, I was like, oh no, Jerome Paul don't give a f single fuck. Bro, he's he's Billy Badass out here, man. I mean, he's literally like he's actually extremely worried about the inflation rate. And um, I'm gonna show you guys. I'm, I'm actually going to kind of sh uh, play you guys a video from um, surprisingly enough Fox News. Um, and he's kind of more or less talking about the inter about the economy. And there's like a couple of key points in there that he ends up saying within like the first 30 minutes of the uh, of the interview and stuff of the um, kind of the press conference, I should say, where he goes over a lot of the reasoning for what he does. And if you actually listen to what actually I think people are just trying to read in between the lines tomorrow. No, I think he legit. So I am fully convinced his next raise is going to be a full 75 basis points. It won't be 50. I. I said that earlier on uh, Instagram, but as I heard him today in that interview, I was like, nope, you know what? Jerome Powell, daddy, daddy Jerome, baby. Shout out BBC gang. Uh, <laughs> Jerome is more than likely going to do a 75 basis point increases. I don't think they're going to put you foot down with 50s anymore. I think they're full 75 increases until they kind of get it down. And that's just based off of his how he was talking today. And like, and he's kind of proven to show that when he says he's going to do something, he actually does it. And he's legitimately is trying to get rid of the inflation. Now, the one interesting thing is looking at this in terms of CPI. Now, the CPI number is calculated in a certain way where they take the average of the last two years. And this next year, the CPI, the way they calculate it is going to be changed instead of an average of two year, it's over the last year. So this will kind of lower the CPI number down to about... It should be about 2% right off the jump. So maybe with, with that final changing because of how they calculate the CPI numbers, they may do one further increase and then kind of leave it from there and not increase anymore. But I am I am seeing at least another two more increases from the Federal Reserve of like 75 basis points. I don't think they're going to soften to 50. 
Yeah, no, Miguel, until something breaks. Exactly, right? So, yeah, yeah, they said until something breaks, then they'll do something else. But they're, but Jerome is extremely, extremely adamant that he's trying to actually um, in keep increasing the rates and stuff. And he does not give a fuck about what's going on in the market. I mean, he's basically trying to say every, like, there, there was a question he said in there where it sounded like, and we'll play it in a minute, where, like, he sort of sounded like he was trying to get away from what, he was trying to get away from what the, the like, the cause of this, like basically weakening in the in the in the in the in the labor market, right? Which is what they want to cause. Like they actually want the labor market to actually weaken at some point. Then they'll stop increasing the rates and stuff, and then they'll start easing and stuff, right? That's that's kind of what because we're 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 not in the labor market, you guys. We're in the capital market, right? We're you know we're investors, right? So uh, once once the unemployment rate really starts increasing, then they'll I, sh I think they'll actually pause the rates because their main two things are basically a certain amount of employment rate and a two percent or lower inflation rate, but they usually like the 2% inflation rate because it over time inflates away the um, the debt on the system, especially in the um, normal markets and stuff. But um, yeah, and ETH is holding up pretty well too as well. I mean, like well, macro-wise, right? If you actually look at it, like Ethereum is actually, I mean, there's the miners are no longer dumping Ethereum, right? A lot of a lot of the a lot of the Ethereum that's coming out is just dripping out, and it's going to a bunch of holders anyway. Now, even though we can't unstick the Ethereum, right? Um, there really isn't much. Ethereum going into the open market, just like just like how recently in DeFi Kingdoms, um, with the update that's happening with Ju with um, Jade, right? Um, there's they've capped, they've lowered the amount of uh, total Jewel that would ever be in existence. There's now a 125 million total supply of Jewel. There's no more coming out, so there's very no more. In, um, there's really not that much inflation now with Ethereum. There still is inflation, but now the main people who would get all that inflation are that would dump it down. A lot of the holders aren't because they don't have enough of it. It's to be profitably dumping it and stuff, they're they're just holding on to it for the most part. So there's just much less sell pressure on Ethereum. But at some point, with when the market getting bad, it will it will cause a cascading effect because when the prices go lower and they stay lower, you'll start getting some you know Bitcoin miners having to sell Bitcoin off because they're going under, as well as um, you know you're getting certain either projects or funds that are just losing take so much losses and prop and losses that they have to like start liquidating coins and stuff so at some point we will get knocked back down and then that prolonged period of just no action just really hurts the balance sheets of a lot of like crypto companies as well as like vc funds so that'll kind of will drive the prices down lower over time <laughs> jay man if the u.s ever runs out of diesel fuel we'll, be, we'll see a dip like never before yeah i mean so it, it's gonna happen supposedly on the east coast now on the west coast there's still diesel fuel and stuff but um i've been hearing that it's mostly going to be on the on the east coast where, where there's gonna be there's gonna be uh, diesel shortages so kind of crazy man yeah dog bnb and doge are holding up like i mean heck yeah man there's just a lot of well, there isn't much incentive to sell doge now now that you're like fuck elon's the, people are just waiting for that bullish elon tweet and and p basically people are now holding out for the hopium like they basically had a sacrifice phase essentially is what in terms of the like where they're at right now so they just had the sacrifice phase so they're they're high high belief high belief in doge right now because elon's in charge baby he's gonna pump our bags he's gonna he's gonna put doge into the ecosystem of like twitter and stuff like a, a doge in every in every american's hand right that's basically what they're hoping for and um we're gonna get price swings in both directions now hopefully elon is positive with doge but it, it, he i mean i could totally see elon going a full one 180 degrees and being like i don't like doge anymore full bitcoin and it would suck for the Doge guys, but as long as he is crypto positive, it is really good for the crypto space because it onboards more people, and they can we can use the Twitter the Twitterverse to kind of you know get more people into the crypto space. Now uh, let's see, Jason Rose, the best the best move is a three X short Doge. <laughs> 
10,000 doge being created every minute is a lot of buying power to maintain. Oh, definitely, man. Definitely. But it just, it just kind of is what it is. Now, a lot, I, I wouldn't be surprised that a lot of that supply is not really coming online too much because most... So um, the way Dogecoin works is it's script mined. So back in the day, they had it. They, they, they were a fork of, of Litecoin and they basically kept getting attacked and they were having trouble. They were having trouble people like legitimately like just only mining Dogecoin. So what happened to is they, they merge mine their, their mining with uh, Litecoin. So Litecoin miners hold up the system for both Litecoin and Dogecoin. So all transactions done in Doge are secretly being done by Litecoin, actually. So all the Litecoin miners are actually earning, they're earning dual yield. They earn Litecoin and Dogecoin. So I wouldn't be shocked that a lot of the miners right now, I mean, like to be a Litecoin miner, you're probably very profitable right now as a Litecoin miner, especially because the main coin, you're, the, the side coin you're earning is actually generating you some income. So kind of kind of surprising. The Litecoin miners are surviving with Dogecoin. Like who would have fucking guessed? <laughs> Hit it, man. Woo! Dropping some Litecoin pills and shit. Shout out to Litecoin Moses. Dead and gone. But he's still in here somewhere. <laughs> I was Dogecoin Muhammad. Litecoin Moses. Hex Jesus, baby. Dollar cost crypto, baby. Man of many names. Give me it all, baby. Now, uh, Wealth Builder. Hex Jesus, do you think that we will go to sub three cents? I got a what twelve thousand coins at three at three cents before the pump. Do you think we'll go to three subs? Oh, sub three cents. I'm sorry. Possibly we could go to like two and a half cents at most, but that's as far as I think. Especially with us pumping to four cents, I think I think we're it's gonna be it's gonna take a lot of bullshit to get us to drop below three point one cents. I believe so. And then on top of that, we got the we got the hedron stuff coming up as well. So kind of interesting. We got a lot of cool, interesting sort of things happening in the space right now. But um, so uh, thoughts on the RH lawsuit in South Carolina? A bunch of bullshit. The guy's suing for like eighteen hundred dollars. It's just it's a horseshit like lawsuit, bros. Trust. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, pivoted today, except he pivoted from interest rate rates to let us know that we are going in for a hard landing. The window is soft landing is closing. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yes. Uh, Tail seven's correct. The lawsuit is a complete joke. It's over eighteen hundred. Dude, there's, there's been there's been like fud after fud after fud. The lawsuit. Oh no! Now the hex movie's coming out in twenty. Like people are like grasping for straws. Like, it's just people wanting the price hex price to go down. They just want any little fucking bad news right now. You guys, it's all it's all horseshit. We're fine. Just calm your tits. Everyone, like, if this is your first time in this kind of market, welcome. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fucking shit. It is what it's it's crab market. People want down or up only because it's interesting because you can make money. There's moves to make, right? But crab market is God is like the it is the worst. It's the worst because it's so boring. It's boring. I'll be the first to tell you that it's boring. But the, if you pay attention, there's moves you can make right now. So let me go, let me go a little bit. I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of the Fed Jerome meeting and stuff, and I'm going to talk a little over it and kind of give my thoughts of what Jerome means 
on, on this right here. So if you could share the screen for one second. That's theater mode, right? Okay, cool. So. Look at him. Commander of the army. Lord of dollars. Good afternoon. My colleagues and I are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. We have both the tools that we need and the resolve it will take to restore price stability on behalf of American families and businesses. Price stability is the responsibility of the Federal Reserve and serves as the bedrock of our economy. Without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. In particular, without price stability, we will not achieve a sustained period of strong labor market conditions that benefit all. Today, the FOMC raised our policy interest rate by 75 basis points, and we continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate. Did you guys hear that right there? So we said, we just dick slapped you in the face, and we're going to continue to slap you in the face. There's going to be more increases, motherfuckers. Only red, down only, bear market. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we are moving our policy stance purposefully to a level that will be sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to two percent in addition we're continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive stance of policy for some time I will have more to say about today's monetary policy actions after briefly reviewing economic developments. <clears throat> the U.S. economy has slowed significantly from last year's rapid pace. Real GDP rose at a pace of 2.6% last quarter, but mm -hmm. is unchanged so far this year. Recent indicators point to modest growth of spending and production this quarter. Growth in consumer spending has slowed from last year's rapid pace, in part reflecting lower real disposable income and... Motherfuckers. <laughs> so, he, so a, a bit of the stuff that he's talking about right now is basically saying that, like, what, what, and kind of what they're trying to do without really saying it is they're trying to wreck everybody so they have less money to spend, so there's less inflation. And, a, and, and the reason there's so much inflation is because they can print money, the money goes to other people, and they spend the money. But because the market, the capital markets, the stock market, real estate, crypto went up so much, people still have a lot of savings in crypto and in stocks and all these things. So what they're trying to do by raising the rates is, okay, fuck, we need to slow down inflation. So how do we slow them? Let's destroy the wealth effect. And, and what the wealth effect is, is when, when these capital markets are really going up because you feel richer, even though you don't cash it out, you will spend more because, ah, man, I got it in the bag. I just made a million dollars in crypto, baby. Fuck, I'll fuck off 100000 Woo! But when your portfolio goes down to $250,000, you're like, um, I'm probably going to fuck off fifteen grand. So the guy went from, like, me, like spending 100000 10% of the portfolio, to now, like, they're spending 15000 which is actually smaller. So it's, it's like when, when your portfolio is going up, people feel really fucking bullish and they start spending and, and investing dumbly and doing all kinds of crazy things. And all that spending ends up going to the strip clubs, the fucking <laughs> movie theaters, you know, I mean, everywhere you spend, right? But like this money permeates through the economy because people who make that kind of cash start spending, buying Rolexes, cars, it, it, it 
it goes throughout the economy and what's going on is that the regular consumers are, are like losing spending power and stuff but they've always been kind of cucked out but what they're trying to do is they're trying to like hurt the one percent and as well as the basically the people who any of the normal people who made any profits in the crypto market stock market and real estate to hurt them right now so they stop spending as much so the inflation number goes down is what they're trying to do and tighter financial conditions Activity in the housing sector has weakened significantly, largely reflecting higher mortgage rates. And that's, dude, this is gonna take forever, but <laughs> it's gonna be a long stream, you guys. That's what, but so that's another thing that they're doing right now by them raising the rates, they're happy. So the thing is, is real estate is the slow moving animal, right? It moves real slow, right? But when it pumps up, it, it pumps up high and it takes a while even even though things are bad it it takes a while for it to essentially top out right so now it's 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 out here now and now it's starting to come down so what what's going on is because the rates it's getting so it's so right now the rates the rates because of the current increase were somewhere between seven to eight percent to get a house with good credit so i mean this is i mean value attainment said recently you know um pat that the rates are going to head towards like 10 percent to get a house and this is with like decent credit 700 credit score or more right so it's going to cost 10 percent on that on on a on a 30-year fixed that's wild bros i i i can't even think i what it was it was like early 80s we may have had rates that high i can't i can't recall to tell you the truth like not probably not in my lifetime for the most part now this is another way they can destroy the wealth effect now the real estate thing is going to take this is why i've been saying the low and then this is something me and um, uh me and swerve have been saying for a minute now that we we, we we're kind of like really going back and forth because i really trust swerve the dip and stuff when it comes to you know his 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 take on real estate and stuff because he's been a real estate investor far longer than than i have or charlie has and um we were kind of just like playing around and toying with the idea where where it could possibly be the low for the for the you know for the housing market right and then more than likely we're looking at kind of like quarter one of 2020 24 just because it's such a slow moving animal and we're probably looking at an additional 20 25 percent down in the housing prices more than but if, if it ends up being a little lighter it'll be like 15 to 20 percent from current prices which it still is up in gains and if you look at it towards like 2009 levels and stuff from housing prices but still it, it will significantly go down so like let's just say something something local here in vegas right like a local house somewhere in like Somerville, right was probably peaking out at like 800 to nine hundred thousand dollars. so we're probably looking at it touching maybe like high 600s to like low 700s in terms of how much of a retracement it does still significant right but it's not a complete collapse down where like a eight hundred thousand dollar house goes to like 400 grand that's not happening you guys unless we get like straight up thermal nuclear war or something crazy like that but th that is there they are trying to destroy the wealth effect and by doing that it, it, it's it's going to like cause people it's going to cause a saving glut in some of the larger uh, more richer affluent houses and stuff and people who have investments and they're not going to spend as much and, and this is the sad thing is regardless of that, it, it hurts everybody but it really hurts the people you know normal people the normal middle class and the lower middle class that that are trying to work their way up because it's just it's it's lessening opportunities and money gets tighter so they won't be able to try to expand and make businesses so it just this really sucks that they're doing this you guys higher interest rates and slower output growth also appear to be weighing on business fixed investment mm. Despite the slowdown in growth, the labor market remains extremely tight, with the unemployment rate at a 50-year low, job vacancies still very high, and wage growth elevated. Now, let me say one more thing about that. Oh, this is going to be a long one, you guys. <laughs> let me say one more thing about that, right? So the, the unemployment numbers 
are total bullshit. They like the, the unemployment numbers are lies, complete lies. The unemployment rate is much higher than the report. Based any 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 data the government gives you is is almost totally. I can damn near tell you with like almost a hundred percent certainty, it's wrong. But since it's track, it's sort of like how you're like you're weighing yourself on a bad scale. If you track it over a long period of time, you can tell if you are losing weight because the number is going down, right? Or the number is going up. But the numbers are wrong. They're not counting people who just basically they keep trying. It's, imagine like you're a person that got like laid off, couldn't find a job, and you couldn't find a job. Eventually, after a while, they stopped counting you because you couldn't find a job. You can still want a job, but because you can't get the job, you are counted out of the unemployment number because basically you are not fit to fucking to work. Basically. It's so crooked. It's so cooked. But regardless or not, right? We like off of their metrics, right? The, because that metric is so skewed down that they can just focus on nuking the market. Because the main remember at, on the uh, can you full screen me for one second. So the way they look at the market, right? They're the Fed's teeter tot, right? The Miguel Bows of the Fed, right? Is basically unemployment rate being low. And, in, and inflation rate being at 2%. So they're always playing this game of like, okay, we gotta keep the market in this. Like if, 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 if the market, the market's like low, if the best thing would be inflation rates at 2% or 1%, and then the, the labor market's super strong. Woo, we're, we're, we're doing good, you guys. And then and then the debt levels, and then they from there they look at other things, right? So like, cause you could have both those things going like that, but as soon as like the inflation one starts going up, oh shit, oh shit, they have to raise rates. And then by raising rates, eventually that trickles down into increasing unemployment. And then like, oh shit, and then they, they start lowering the rate. So it's this, it's this constant game of playing this. Back and forth like the ocean. But now, since they've, they've cooked the numbers on the inflation, on the unemployment rate, because the unemployment rate's higher than they say. So if they're saying the unemployment rate's what, like, I don't know, record low, it's probably, if you could probably triple the, the unemployment rate, that's probably where we're at, right? And in the inflation rate that they're saying, right, we're, we're, I think the current inflation rate's probably like, what, 8.1%. So we have an 8%, 8.1% inflation rate. You can double it. We're at 16 to 20% in real inflation in the economy. So both, so we're kind of like this. Like, so, so here's the inflation, it's pretty high, and then the unemployment's like this. That's not, the curve is supposed to be like this. A teeter-tot, an even teeter-tot, back and forth, back, but, but gent, like the way, but over time, the economy is growing taller and taller and taller. But this time, we're like, we're, we're, we're fucking over here like a retarded monkey. Like, going back and forth. It's, it's just, oh my God, man. All right, man, full screen it, man. Sheesh, let me go back a little bit. The slowdown in growth, the labor market remains extremely tight with the unemployment rate at a 50-year low, job vacancies still very high, and wage growth elevated. Job gains have been robust, with employment rising by an average of 289,000 jobs per month over August and September. Yeah, porn Although OF models. That was all OF models, you guys. Let, let me hear that. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. That's OnlyFans models. That's hooking, you guys. That, all those numbers are, are people work, working at Wet Republic. <laughs> with employment rising by an average of 289,000 jobs per month over August and September. Although job vacancies have moved below their highs and the pace of job gains has slowed from earlier in the year, the labor market continues to be out of balance with demand substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. Hmm. The labor force participation rate is little changed since the beginning of the year. 
Inflation remains well above our longer-run goal of 2%. Over the 12 months ending in September, total PCE prices rose 6.2%, excluding the volatile food and energy categories. Core PCE prices rose 5.1%. And the recent inflation data again have come in higher than expected. Price pressures remain evident across a broad range of goods and services. Russia's war against Ukraine has boosted prices for energy and food and has created additional upward pressure on inflation. Okay, I do have to agree with him with that. Yeah, that is true. The, the war in Russia has increased prices for grain prices and all this other stuff as well, right? It's, it's mostly hitting the... So the, 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 the commodities market for oil, even though there's so much... Everyone, like, fucking everyone and their mom produces oil. But a slight lacking in increasing the supply of oil. like you if you take away like five million barrels of oil and stuff like that it, it it's it's a it's 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 it seems you would you would think it's a pretty robust system but you have a slight it's it's it seems it's a very liquid illiquid market there's so much oil flowing around the world so much is moving it's very it's very efficient how it moves for the most part right there's large efficiency un in it but a slight drop in supply somewhere will cause massive prices increases in the, in the market, especially because there's so much speculators as well in, in, in the commodities market as well. So um, this is causing great. So the reason this is causing inflation is because countries have to get that oil. So it's very elastic. So it's a very elastic market. So the reason it's causing inflation by, for, for the Russia thing is because no, hook or by cook, we have to get this oil, right? So countries will then print their own local currencies to get that oil and pay that higher price now that money's funneling into saudi arabia shout out to my boys but shout out to my saudi dudes but <laughs> that money's funneling to, the, to those people but the, the, all these extra dollars and then they're fucking off and investing this into a bunch of things like, like just recently the 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 um i think the saudi government is going to invest wants the help of the um of the australian government they're trying to invest a hundred and seventy four billion dollars into mining so basically the Saudis are going to, inv so and since the Chinese are essentially doing kind of bad right now, the Saudis are kind of picking up the slack and they're going to start buying a lot of the mining industry as, and um, into, in Australia and stuff. In Australia, they want Australia to help them with the loan and stuff, which is pretty strange. I, I, usually Saudis got that kind of money, but this time they want a little help because it helps out the Australians so much. So they're pretty much trying to diversify their portfolio and have like more mining sector sort of thing. So they're trying to get bigger into like into, into another different commodity trade. So really interesting. There's some interesting geopolitical shit going on right now so it's so the saudis are kind of aligning themselves more with the australians and it seems like probably the uh, the chinese money is starting to trickle it's starting to slow down in in terms of commodity um investments especially in, in australia because it's, it's australia makes a lot of money off of uh, selling iron ore copper and a lot of uh, zinc and metals and stuff so pretty interesting across a broad range of goods and services russia's war against ukraine has boosted prices for energy and food and has created additional upward pressure on inflation. Despite elevated inflation, longer-term inflation expectations appear to remain well-anchored, as reflected in a broad range of surveys of households, businesses, and forecasters, as well as measures from financial markets. But that is not grounds for complacency. Mm -hmm. The longer the current bout of high inflation continues, the greater the chance that expectations of higher inflation will become entrenched. Now, now this is a really key thing now. Even though we're all pissed off at the Fed and everything like that, this is they are trying to stop something that that does scare them, which is basically that the inflation number the inflation doesn't go away. 
and then we get in, we get that is probably one of the most dangerous situations and i and i get where jerome powell is in terms of like his headspace on this right is that we got to do something about this fucking inflation even if it's a bullshit number we got to get the number down now i believe jerome powell would actually keep increasing rates now i don't know how he's going to act with the cpi number and i have a, i have a bit of a conspiracy theory what's going to end up happening with that and it could cause him to keep increasing rates even though the cpi is going down and then eventually pause and pump the markets and stuff but um if the inflation number stays around for a long time this is what happens in latin american countries and in, in turkey and stuff is that the inflation doesn't go away and it just becomes a normal part of life and then we just start inflating our dollars at a much higher pace that that is not good for the world economy not good for the united states as well so they they do and some so they basically like it's this whole thing if the inflation really just keeps going up and up and up they're gonna have to nuke this thing down and whether that, I mean, that fucking sucks for all of us, but it, it is the sort of thing is like, like it's worse for the United States dollar to go to shit for not just, not just for the United States, but for the entire planet, dude, that, that if the United States dollar just hyperinflated, I mean, and I'm not talking this book, like everyone, like everybody's, everyone's inflating their currencies, right? So where you like, we're the, we're, we're the, the, we're the prettiest ugly girl in the, at the dance. All right. And, oh boy they're going to have to do something right so they're just going to, have to keep tightening but they're, they're in this whole like kind of rough situation where if they keep increasing rates at some point something's going to snap and they're like oh shit and they're going to have to start easing so it's just this this gentle game and stuff i do believe the next run will be 75 basis points the I would be actually pretty surprised if they did 50, but I mean, regardless of that, we are going to get another rate hike increase. So we're looking at 75, 50 to 75 basis point increase. Now, it would be some pretty base shit. They started doing 100. And he, he was talking very stern later in this interview and stuff, but it, this is just some of the stuff that they're, they're going through right now. But that is not grounds for complacency. The longer the current bout of high inflation continues, the greater the chance that expectations of higher inflation will become entrenched. <clears throat> The Fed's monetary policy actions are guided by our mandate to promote maximum employment and stable prices for the American people. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship as it erodes purchasing power, especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. Yeah. We are highly attentive to the risks that high inflation poses to both sides of our mandate and we're strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by 75 basis points. And we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet, which plays an important role in firming the stance of monetary policy. With today's action, we've raised interest rates by three and three quarters percentage points this year, we anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. So Financial what they just said right there is that they're going to they're going to keep increasing the the rates down until the CPI numbers and the inflation rate starts going down. So nuking so over time they're they're just going if if as long as the market doesn't break, they're going to keep increasing the rates until they forcefully put the inflation rate down. Financial conditions have tightened significantly in response to our policy actions, and we are seeing the effects on demand in the most interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, such as housing. It will take time, however, for the full effects of monetary restraint to be realized, especially on inflation. 
That's why we say in our statement that in determining the pace of future increases in the target range, we will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy and the lags with which monetary policy affects e economic activity and inflation. At some point, as I've said in the last two press conferences, uh, it will become appropriate to slow the pace of increases as we approach the level of interest rates that will be sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to our 2% goal. There is significant uncertainty around that level of interest rates. Even so. so right there, he just said, what he just said right there was like, I know we said we're going to fucking slow it down after a certain point, but don't get your fucking hopes up because we haven't even hit that level yet because we haven't tamed this bitch. So it's a calm your tits market. So he's basically trying, like what he's trying to kind of gently say is basically, I want you guys to dump, dump a little bit more and stuff. Let, don't, don't start pumping the market because like you think we're going to start like softening the rates. We're not going to soften the rates yet. We want the market to go down because we want inflation to go down. We still have some ways to go. And incoming data since our last meeting suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. She our decisions will depend on the totality of incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation. We will continue to make our decisions meeting by meeting and communicate our thinking as clearly as possible. We're taking forceful steps to moderate demand so that it comes into better alignment with supply. Our overarching focus is using our tools to bring inflation back down to our 2% goal and to keep longer term inflation expectations well anchored. Reducing inflation is likely, likely to require a sustained period of below-trend growth and some softening of labor market conditions. Boom. Boom, what the fuck did I just say? Damn, dude, I gotta, I gotta hear that again. That was wild. What he, I mean, like, you see how they say that? Like, there is literally people, their entire job is basically just to... He, 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 like, a lot of the times the Fed would say the same thing over and over, like, from meeting to meeting, but just change two or three words in the speech. And those two or three words mean a little bit more... Negative or bullish? Back down to our 2% goal and to keep longer-term inflation expectations well anchored. Reducing inflation is likely, likely to require a sustained period of below-trend growth mm -hmm. and some softening of labor market conditions. Right there. That's the softening. They, <laughs> they mean wrecking of the labor market. Right. This is what me and Swerve. I was kind of like, you know, me, I was kind of like picking on like Swerve and stuff. I mean, we're just fucking around, having fun. But I was telling him, he's like, so I mean, Swerve's right about this. Is because the ultimate thing is that they're like, like your dollar, but you're like, all right, your your dollars are inflating, which people can sort of handle. They're like, oh, the dollars are inflating because it's a silent stealer. But if they took your job, they take your job away, you're gonna be in the streets, fucking mad, right? <coughs> And that's kind of the ultimate sort of thing that, may, like, if, if the labor market just starts mass firing and you really get people, the unemployment really raising, that's where political, socioeconomical, and on top of that, the just regular people will all, are all up in arms. And that's where, like, oh, shit, we're, we're, we're in trouble. And then they start, they start the money printing and they start softening the interest rates and start printing money and stuff like that because they're like, we went overboard on that, on that side. So... They're, they're basically indicating like we, we want people to lose their jobs and we want, I mean, we, we, we're like, we're willing to lose, we're willing for the, the growth of America to slow down and people lose jobs so we can save the purchasing power of the dollar. Damn. Restoring price stability is essential to set the stage for achieving maximum employment and stable prices in the longer run. 
the historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. Yep. We will stay the course until the job is done. Yeah, that like this that whole 15 20 second segment right there is like some of the hardest stance I've ever I've ever heard him say. I mean, I, I mean like that that is like pretty bullshit. Like the last person that I've that I've heard really talk like that was maybe um in terms of like how committed they are to something in the Fed has been probably the last one was Ben Bernanke and before that was more than likely Alan Greenspan in terms of just well actually Alan Greenspan in terms of the put originally in the 80s and then from there he kind of like softened up on how he was talking about it. And then before that, the last person that was like, I'm going to nuke this shit was basically a uh, shout out to uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. I totally forgot his name. He's like, he basically was the um, the guy who ended up increasing the rates up to like 17 basis. Like he increased it by 1700 basis points in one shot. He, he, he took the federal. He took, damn, dude, he nuked. I mean, he went like. So we're talking about like 50 basis points. This dude did 1700. 100 basis points in one shot. Sheesh. Right? So th he, they are, like, he is, Jerome Powell is very serious about about continuing this path until something breaks. He's going to keep tightening and tightening and tightening, and he needs, he wants to get this under control, and, and he, I, he's, I wouldn't be surprised. He's actually a little afraid of how they're getting, they're, they're going to be calculating the CPI, but they do use other internal metrics to um, to actually calculate the CPI internally, but they do look at that, um, the main CPI numbers that we're looking at. So, interesting. <laughs> And that was Paul Volcker. I'm sorry, Paul Volcker. So Paul Volcker, the Chad Paul Volcker. At the time, they literally wanted to kill this man. At the time, they were, they were there because he's completely like nuked the entire market. I mean, basically, the inflation rate was going crazy because that was around the time that um, the dollar wasn't the dollar wasn't really backed by anything. And then you know um, they ended up backing it with the petrodollar system and stuff under um, not Reagan but under um, Nixon. And then the inflation rate was going kind of it was still not under control and so he just turbo nuked the market brought the inflation down crushed the u.s economy set it into a recession and then afterwards in the 80s and stuff that, but because of that it strengthened up the dollar again it got it got the inflation under control and then it allowed and then it took us with this whole thing where basically rates were heading down for damn near 20 years and, and gave us the 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 great i mean the pretty decent economies of the 80s and 90s and then from there they went they went a little overboard and and loosened the rates up even too low to zero during the times of the um or near zero i should say near the times of the housing boom and then from there boom we crashed so that's kind of what, what was going on to conclude we understand that our actions affect communities families and businesses across the country everything we do is in service to our public mission we at the fed will do everything we can to achieve our maximum employment and price stability goals Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Colby. So I'm going to wreck the market. And, um, Thank you, yeah. Colby Smith with the Financial Times. The On Kathy. the need to slow the pace of rate increases at some point, is a, is a downshift contingent on a string of better inflation data specifically between now and, uh, let's say, the December meeting? Or is that something that the Fed could potentially proceed with independent of that data, given the lagged effects that you mentioned? So a couple of things on that. Um, we do need to see inflation coming down decisively, and good evidence of that would be uh, a series of down monthly readings. Of course, that's what we'd all love to see. Uh, but that's, I've never thought of that as the appropriate test for slowing the pace of increases or for identifying the appropriately restrictive level that we're aiming for. Uh, we need to bring our policy stance down to a level that's sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation down to our 2% objective over the medium term. 
How will we know that we've reached that level? Well, we'll take into account the full range of analysis and data that bear on that question, guided by our assessment of how much financial conditions have tightened, um, the effects that, that tightening is actually having on the real economy and on inflation, um, taking into consideration lags, as I mentioned. Um, we will be looking at, at real rates, for example, all across the yield curve and all, all other financial conditions and, uh, yeah, as we make that assessment. And they mean mostly just in U.S. markets. They are not, even though I do, I, like, you have to, you have to imagine they are looking at the world market and seeing what's going on, but they are mostly basing all this stuff off of just U.S. numbers and stuff like that. So things could get extremely terrible if you're in Europe and in Asia, just because the United States is doing these, this, this monetary policy and stuff. And then um, this is why you're getting such high inflation in other currencies, because they're having, the United States is tightening and a lot of money and the dollar is becoming more scarce just because it's, it costs more to borrow. And so other countries are printing more of their dollars or more of their currencies in order to get dollars. And this is like, this is why it's kind of, it's kind of causing hyperinflation in some countries, Turkey and some other nations like that, and and causing pretty significant inflation in, in a lot of other normal currencies, which that doesn't happen. I mean, we've seen like a 30, 40% drop, the dollar and the pound. I mean, the, the euro's taken a pounding and so is the pound taking a pounding. And you know, long, long live the queen, baby. Duration lags, as I mentioned. Um, we will be looking at, at real rates, for example, all across the yield curve and all, all other financial conditions and, uh, yeah, as we make that assessment. Hi, uh, Howard Schneider with, uh, with Reuters. <clears throat> Look, I, I'm sure there's going to be uh, tons of confusion out there about whether this means you're going to slow in December or not. Uh, would you say that the bias right now is not for another 75 basis point increase? So um, what I want to do uh, is, is put that question of pace in the context of, our, of our, our broader tightening program, if I may. Listen here, fool. We are not slowing down. We are going to wreck you at 75. Don't even get it out of your fucking head. It is not 50 points. It is not 25 points. It is 75 basis points. That's basically what he's saying in a nice way. <laughs> Uh, tons of confusion out there about whether this means you're going to slow in December or not. Uh, would you say that the bias right now is not for another 75 basis point increase? So um, what I want to do uh, is, is put that question of pace in the context of our, of our, our broader tightening program, if I may, and, and hit the, talk about the statement language uh, along the way. So I, I think you can think about our, our tightening program as, as really addressing three questions. The first of which was, and has been, how fast to go. The second is, uh, how high to raise our policy rate. And the third will be eventually, how long to remain at, at, a, at a restrictive level. So on the first question, um, how, to, how fast to tighten policy, it's been very important that we move expeditiously, and we have clearly done so. Yeah. Uh, we've moved uh, three and three quarters percent since March, admittedly from a base of zero. <laughs> Uh, it's a historically Sheesh. fast pace, and that's that's uh, certainly appropriate. Uh, given, and that's two Fed chairmen's of like zero percent for the United States. That is like that is that is the longest period of time we've ever basically been at zero. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're I know we're raising crazy, but we're like raising from fucking zeros, homie, like nothing. So it's like we like, <laughs> admittedly, like you know, from fucking zero. In policy, it's been very important that we move expeditiously, and we have clearly done so. Uh, we've moved uh, three and three quarters percent since March, admittedly from a base of zero. Uh, it's a historically fast pace, and that's that's uh, certainly appropriate. 
uh, given the persistence and strength in inflation and the low level from which we started. So now we come to the second question, which is how high to raise our policy rate. And, and we're saying that we'd raise that rate to a level that's sufficiently restrictive to bring, bring inflation to our 2% uh, target over time. And we put that into our, into our post-meeting statement. Uh, because that really does become the important question we think now is is how uh, how far to go and uh, I'll talk more about that. We think there's some ground to cover, uh, but before we meet that test, and that's why we say that ongoing rate increases will be appropriate. Mm. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, incoming data between the meetings, both the strong labor market report, but particularly the CPI report, do suggest to me uh, that we may ultimately move to higher levels than we thought at the time of the September meeting. That Whoa. level is very uncertain, though, and I, I would say... Um, Yo, so there... Whoa, that is... Ooh, I got to hear that again. That is wild. So there's, they're talking about, like, w w I know we had said maybe possibly softening, but now we're actually looking into higher levels and even higher levels than we had originally thought. So that, 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 that brings up, like, 75 and a full 100, 100 basis point increases to kind of get this thing down. Holy shit. Wow, dude. Wow. I got to hear that again. Question we think now is, is how, uh, how far to go, and uh, I'll talk more about that. We think there's some ground to cover uh, but before we meet that test, and that's why we say that ongoing rate increases will be appropriate. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, incoming data between the meetings, both the strong labor market report, but particularly the CPI report, do suggest to me uh, that we may ultimately move to higher levels than we thought at the time of the September meeting. That level is very uncertain, though, and I, I would say, um, you know, we're going to find it uh, over time. Um, of course, the, with the lags between policy and economic activity, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, so we note that in determining the pace of future increases, we'll take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, as well as the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation. So. Uh, I would say as we come closer to that level, move more into restrictive territory, the question of uh, speed becomes less important than the second and third questions. And that's why I've said at the last two press conferences that at some point it will become appropriate to slow the pace of, of, uh, of increases. Yeah. So that so time is... They're saying as soon as the data starts showing that, like, oh, this is finally working, then we'll now consider, like, lowering it down a little bit, like lessening it. So maybe taking it to 50 and then maybe eventually 25. But the, and it, we know that whatever we think, whatever actions we do now takes a while for that to actually show up in the data. So we may over tighten, but who gives a fuck? Basically, we're going to until we see the data going down, then we're going to soften now. And, and he's kind of trying to tell you guys the last the, the last two meetings is basically like, all right, now, just because I said that we'd, we'd start softening at some point, it is not now. And a lot of people are starting to cook that in that like, oh, the softening will start really soon but the data hasn't shown up yet, so they're gonna keep acting the way they're acting until the data's starting to show them that now we can slow down a little bit on this. Hit the like and subscribe button, you guys, man. Sheesh! Play by play. It's coming, and it may come as soon as the next meeting or the one after that. No decision has been made. Uh, it is likely we'll have a discussion about this at the next meeting, a discussion. Um, to be clear, I, let me say again, the question of, of when to moderate the pace of increases is now much less important than the question of how high to raise rates and how, how long to keep mm. monetary policy restrictive, which really will be our principal focus. If I could follow up on that, did, to what degree was there an importance or weight given to a need to signal this possibility now, given all the concerns really around the globe about 
Fed policy is sort of driving ahead uh, and everybody else, you know, dealing with their own stress uh, as a result? Well, I think um, I'm, I'm pleased that we have moved as fast as we have. I don't think we've over-tightened. I think there's very difficult to make a case that, that our current level is, is too tight, given that inflation still runs well. Bitch, I haven't even funds. started. So um, I think that it's... Damn, son. He just said, basically, it's like, I'm, I'm really proud of how much we've been raising, but I don't think we've raised enough, you guys. <laughs> Driving ahead uh, and everybody else, you know, dealing with their own stress uh, as a result. Well, I think um, I'm, I'm pleased that we have moved as fast as we have. I don't think we've over-tightened. I think there's very difficult to make a case that, that our current level is is too tight given that inflation still runs well above the federal funds rate. So um, I think that at this meeting, I, I, as I, the last two meetings, as I've mentioned, uh, I've, I've said that, we, that there would come a point, and this was a, a meeting at which we had a discussion about what that might mean, and we did discuss this, and as, as I mentioned, we'll discuss it again in December. Um, but there's no, I, I don't have any sense that we've over-tightened or moved too fast. I think, I think it's been good and a successful program we, 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 uh, that we've gotten this far this fast. Remember, though, that, that uh, we, we still think there's a need for ongoing rate increases, mm. and um, uh, we have some ground left to cover here, and, uh, and, and cover it we will. Nick Tamaros of the Wall Street Journal. Chair Powell, core BCE inflation on a three or six month annualized basis and on a 12 month basis has been running uh, in the high fours close to 5%. Is there any reason to think you won't have to raise rates at least above that level to be confident that you are imparting enough restraint to bring inflation down? So this is the question of does, does, does the policy rate need, need to get above the inflation rate? And I would say there, there are a range of views on that. That's the classic Taylor principle view. But I, I would think you'd look more at, at a forward-looking uh, you know, forward um, uh, measure of, of inflation to, to look at that. But um, I, I think the answer is we'll want to get the, um, the policy rate to a level where it is, where the, where the real interest rate is positive. We will want to do that. I do not think of it as the as the single and only touchstone, though. Right. I think you put. So that, that was a really interesting question. So just to break that down, basically, is like as you keep increasing the the, the Fed's fund rate, and then the CPI the CPI. Can you full screen me for one second. So as we keep as we keep increasing the rates up and up and up, and the the CPI finally starts going down. At some point, they'll reach sort of like equilibrium level. And at that point, do you think it would be cool to stop raising rates? And he said, no, we actually want the CPI to actually go a little bit below that. So there's actually the Fed's fund rates actually making money. So when, when the CPI is this low and then um, the, the, the Fed's fund rate is this high, that means people who are in the bond market are actually making money above inflation. So you're actually making money in bonds. So if you, let's just say you locked in a 10% bond or something, I mean, I know that's a crazy number, but like 10% uh, 30 year fix, right? And then the inflation rate's like 3%, you're making 7%, you're making 10% a year on that money, but you're making 7% ahead of inflation. So you actually are winning and you're actually getting wealthier over time. And basically saying that, no, um, just because it goes parallel. So if they keep increasing 75, 75, 75, so it finally starts, they, they start meeting each other in the middle like this. 
yay, we, we hit level, you guys. Woo, we can start pumping again. And they, they're like, no, we might still tighten a little bit. So we so this can actually finally drop. And then from there, maybe we might lower and start printing money. But if something breaks, obviously, then all rules are thrown out the window. Then from there, they're going to have to... I would probably say they're probably going to keep rates high and just go... And, and print. That makes sense. So let me go back to the beginning of the question. That was really... That's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. ...to think you won't have to raise rates... Let me go a little more back. And and cover it, we will. Yeah, Gannon with the bonds, man. Sheesh. <laughs> Actually, let me pause it one second. So shout out to my boy Gammon, bro. He's doubling down, bro. He's like, he's putting more money down. He just, I think he just said, like, I just, I'm throwing more dry powder into into uh, these one-year bonds and stuff that he's putting money into because he's betting that the rates are going to come down at some point because something breaks. And so he can make some fucking payola man sure shout out to gammon man the, the gammon put baby the gammon put <laughs> ground left to cover here and uh and and cover it we will nick tamaros of the wall street journal chair powell Core PCE inflation on a three or six month annualized basis and on a 12 month basis has been running uh, in the high fours close to 5%. Is there any reason to think you won't have to raise rates at least above that level to be confident that you are imparting enough restraint to bring inflation down? So this is the question of does, doesn't, does the policy rate need, need to get above the inflation rate? And I would say there, there are a range of views on that. That's the classic Taylor principle view. But I, I would think you'd look more at, at a forward, uh, you know, a forward-looking um, uh, measure of, of inflation to, to look at that. But um, I, I think the answer is we'll want to get the, um, the policy rate to a level where it is, where the, where the real interest rate is positive. We will want to do that. I do not think of it as the as the single and only touchstone, though. I think you put some weight on that. You also put some weight on rates across the curve. Very few people borrow at the, at the short end of the at the federal funds rate, for example. So households and businesses, if they're so what he what he's what he's about to say right now, and what he's saying right now is that very few people, basically, a couple of institutions and banks. Or the, the only people that can actually borrow at like three, uh, I think we're like at 3.7 or like 4% rate that the, that the uh, Federal Reserve is at right now. Most people pay, are paying this plus an extra VIG on top, right? So let's just say the interest, the, the Fed's fund rate is 4%. Most people with really good credit are probably getting charged. And I'm talking about like crazy good credit or maybe like a really big business is probably paying 50 base points above it to a good 150 above it on average. And then on housing and stuff like it's damn near, I think we're at seven with this raise, I think we're at almost at 8% on, on a house and stuff. So it like if whatever the Fed fund rate is right now, like it's, it's, it costs 8% to borrow the money just cause that, that's how much extra on top of, of that there is. So he's talking about the VIG on the, um, on the economy or on the, uh, on borrowing as a normal person on the, in the, um, in the, in the market. So full screen again, man. A level where it is where the where the real interest rate is positive we will want to do that i do not think of it as the as the single and only touchstone though i think you put some weight on that you also put some weight on rates across the curve very few people borrow at the, at the short end of the at the federal funds rate for example so households and businesses if they're they're very you know meaningfully positive interest rates all across the curve for them credit spreads are, are larger so borrowing rates are, are significantly higher 
Um, and uh, I think financial conditions have tightened quite a bit. So, so this is how they hurt the consumers. I would look consumers. at that as an important feature. I'd put some weight on it, but I wouldn't say it's, it's, a, it's something that, that is the single dominant thing to look at. If I could follow up, uh, what, what is your best assessment or the staff's best assessment right now of the current rate of underlying inflation? I, I don't have a specific number for you there. So there, there are many, many models uh, that, that look at that. And I mean, one way to look at it is that it's a pretty stationary object and that when inflation runs uh, above, above that level, for sure, substantially above for some time, you'll see it move up, but the movement will be, will be fairly gradual. So I think that's what that's what uh, the principal models would uh, would tend to say. But I, I wouldn't want to land on any one assessment. There are many different, uh, as you know, many different uh, people who publish an assessment of, of underlying inflation. I don't want to give you our number because we want to always scapegoat to any other number. <laughs> Hi, Chair Powell. Thank you for taking our questions. Gina Smiley, New York Times. I wonder, do you see any evidence at this stage that inflation is or is at risk of becoming entrenched? Mm. Is inflation becoming entrenched? So uh, I guess I would start by pointing to expectations. So if we saw uh, longer-term expectations moving up, that would be very troubling. And they, they were moving up a little bit in the, at the middle part of this year, and they've moved now back down. That's one piece of data. Shorter-term inflation expectations moved up between uh, the, uh, the, last, this meet, the last meeting and this meeting. And we don't think those are as indicative, but they may be important in the wage setting process. There's a school of thought that believes that. So that's very concerning. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is that the longer we have, we're now 18 months into this episode of high inflation, and um, we don't have you know, a you know, clearly identified scientific way of understanding at what point uh, inflation becomes entrenched. And so, you know, the, the thing we need to do from a risk management standpoint is to use our tools forcefully but thoughtfully and get inflation under control, get it down to 2%, get it behind us. That's what we really need to do and what we're strongly committed. That's kind of crazy for them to say that. Like, yo, I don't know at what point the inflation becomes entrenched. I, we don't know at what point that happens, but if, if it gets too high, we're just going to nuke it down because we, we don't, we don't, we're, we're afraid that it can stay around. So that's that whole thing I was telling you earlier that you can come like Turkey or you can come to like some sort of like Latin American country or African nation where the inflation just doesn't go away. And there's always this, this permanent inflation on your currency. And then basically you are going to, you're going to head to zero at some point very soon. And they, they don't know at what point that is. They, they said that at um, earlier this year that they were seeing the numbers still pretty high and then eventually started going down because as people started realizing in, in equities and i'm guessing in crypto as well uh that like oh shit, the they're actually really serious there's there's not gonna be no pauses they're really they're gonna keep tightening and tightening and tightening so he's probably talking about the first the first fed uh, raise that they did like even i kind of ignored it a little bit and stuff it wasn't until we saw the second one that i was like oh shit, and then it was like oh crap and it was around the second or third one they did this is the fourth one i think they've done consecutively and from that second and third raise they've done, that's when some of the, that they felt like some of that inflation that was entrenched was actually finally starting to go down where people were, were like starting to wake up and going like, oh wow, these guys are actually serious. They're really gonna keep raising the rates, damn it. And then from there, now it's become like, now instead of, instead of this market's like, when are they gonna pause? When are they gonna start printing money again? It's now, now we're, in, we're in a psychological framework of like, yo, um, are they gonna do 50 or 75? So now we're like, we're, like, we're gonna get fucked. We're like, how hard are we gonna get fucked? Oh, man.
and it's all a site and it's all a psychological game basically because i mean money is psychological like all this stuff it's money is basically a system of just trust and like because we all say it has value it has value and a lot of people don't understand that i feel like people in crypto understand that fact a lot more than most people in the traditional markets but because we are always we're playing with things that are actually connected that like actually can be worth dollars and we're creating cryptocurrencies right so we're thinking about things in terms of like we're actually printing money out of thin air where like the normal person is like is is buying things pieces of a company that generates income but isn't like it, it's it isn't like a group effort where like everyone's kumbaya if everyone stays in and buys the coin and the price doesn't go, like everyone just keeps their coins and keeps buying the price keeps going up right and everyone's getting wealth getting the wealth effect that way versus the other way where like earnings how can they take money from the market and then that can raise the stock price up and then buybacks as well which is kind of a way like um, them spending dow money in order to pump the price or keep the price from basically going down scientific way of understanding at what point uh, inflation becomes entrenched. And so, you know, the, the thing we need to do from a risk management standpoint is to use our tools forcefully but thoughtfully and get inflation under control, get it down to 2%, get it behind us. That's what we really need to do and what we're strongly committed to doing. Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Chair Powell. Thank you for taking our questions. Rachel Siegel from The Washington Post. The statement points to the Washington to Post, you guys. You mean Bezos's fucking <laughs> Bezos's uh, freaking uh, news network and shit? Oh my god, lol. I was like, and Bezos is asking. Let's see what. Let's see what. Let's see what Bezos is asking now at the Washington Post. <laughs> Hi, Chair Powell. Thank you for taking our questions. Rachel Siegel from the Washington Post. The statement points to the lag times. I'm wondering if you can walk us through how you judge those lag effects, what that timeline looks like over the coming months or even a year, and where you would expect it to show up in different parts of the economy. Yeah, so um, yeah, me, the way I would think about that is uh, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a commonly, for a long time, thought that monetary policy works with long and variable lags, and, it, and that it works first on uh, financial conditions and then on economic activity and then perhaps later than that even on inflation. So that's, that's been the thinking for a long time. There was an old literature that made those lags out to be fairly long. Um, there's newer literature that says that they're shorter. And you know the truth is we don't have a lot of data of inflation of this high in, in what is now the modern economy. Mm. One big difference now is that um, it used to be that you would raise the federal funds rate, financial conditions would react, and then that would affect economic activity and inflation. Now, financial conditions react well before in expectation of monetary policy. That's the, that's the way it's, it has moved for a quarter of a century is in the direction of financial conditions, then monetary policy, because, because the markets are thinking, what's, you know, what is the central bank going to do? And you know, there, are, there are plenty of economists. And, and that, was, that was really, that's actually really interesting hearing him say that, because what, he, what, he, what he's talking about is the transition from the 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 news getting coming to you by by newspaper and by word of mouth and maybe the TV at most to now we're in a digital age and now because they're getting the inform information speeding up so quickly now people are like whoa what's too what, what's what they're now speculating ahead of time so they used to just go it, it's almost like hey the Fed's raising rates holy shit and they would react and now it's like 
yo, it's, it, I think the Fed's going to raise rates. Let's let's just dump it now. Like we're front running the market and then they raise rates. So it's it's changed up where like everyone's like going like almost like they're in Dune and everyone's on spice and they're all thinking like two moves ahead and stuff. So it's like the spice melange. <laughs> all Game of Thrones like. Financial conditions would react and then that would affect economic activity and inflation. Now, financial conditions react well before in expectation of monetary policy. That's the, that's the way it's, it has moved for a quarter of a century is in the direction of financial conditions, then monetary policy, because, because the markets are thinking, what's, you know, what is the central bank going to do? And you know, there, are, there are plenty of economists that also think that once financial conditions change, that the effects on the economy are actually faster than they would have been before. We don't know that. I guess the thing to, I would say is it's highly uncertain, highly uncertain. And so from a risk management standpoint, we do need, it would be irresponsible not to, to ignore them, but you want to consider them, but not, not take them literally. So I think it's, it's a very difficult place to be, but I would tend to be, want to be in the middle, looking carefully at what's actually happening with the economy. Uh, and uh, trying to make good decisions from a risk management standpoint, remembering, of course, that you know if we were to over tighten, we could then use our tools strongly to support the economy. Whereas if we if we don't get inflation uh, under control because we don't tighten enough, now we're in a situation where inflation will become entrenched, and Sheesh. the costs, the employment costs in particular, will be much higher potentially. So from a risk management standpoint, we want we want to be sure that we that we don't make the mistake of, of either failing to tighten enough or loosening policy too soon. Damn, bro. That was, that was Jerome Powell dropping bars. That was bars. Whoo! Basically says, it doesn't matter. We can over-tighten because we can just pump this bitch up at any point. But if we don't tighten up, then we may not be able to save this thing at all. Damn. That was some... Sheesh! Po Damn, Jerome Powell dropping like that was Holy Ghost bars right there, man. That was Holy Ghost bars. <laughs> Sheesh! You got to hear that again. In the middle, looking carefully at what's actually happening with the economy, uh, and uh, trying to make good decisions from a risk management standpoint. Remembering, of course, that you know if we were to over tighten, we could then use our tools strongly to support the economy. Whereas if we if we don't get inflation. Uh, <laughs> under control because we don't tighten enough, now we're in a situation where inflation will become entrenched and the costs, the employment costs in particular, will be much higher potentially. So from a risk management standpoint, we want, we want to be sure that we, that we don't make the mistake of, of either failing to tighten enough or loosening policy too soon. Yeah, and there, so and the second part to, his, to what he's trying to say there too is like, if if we don't if it's better for us to nuke the market now because the amount of people that will lose jobs will be much less than if we hyperinflate because then from there like half the economy could lose their jobs so it's like we'd rather we'd rather damn we'd rather get like eight nine ten percent unemployment than then get forty percent employment if 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 hyperinflation happens sheesh of of either failing to tighten enough or loosening policy too soon. And if I could follow up, should we interpret the addition to the statement to mean that more weight is put into those lag effects than they would have been after previous rate hikes? So I, I think as we as we move now um, into uh, 
into restrictive territory. As we make these ongoing rate hikes and policy becomes more restrictive, it'll be appropriate now to be thinking more about lag. Of course, we think about la the, the lags are just sort of a basic part of, of monetary policy, but we will be thinking about them. Um, but we won't be, you know, I, I, I think we'll be considering them but because it's appropriate to do so. Let me say this. It's, it's, um, it is very premature to be thinking about pausing. So people, when they hear lags, they think about, about a pause. It's very premature, in my view, to, to, to think about or be talking about pausing our rate hike. We, we, have, we have a ways to go. Our policy, we need ongoing rate hikes to get to, um, to, to that level of, of sufficiently. Uh, he said, bitch, calm your tits. We gonna nuke this market. <laughs> Yo, hit it, man. Shout out to Baron Von Crypto, man. We're going to party like it's 1970s and break some shit. That's right, you guys. Woo. All right, man. Full screen it. Full screen us again, man. That is beautiful. Jesus, man. It <laughs> that was bar. He pimp slapped that chick. He's like, yo, calm your tits. We, I, we, are, not, we are nowhere near pausing this stuff. The, the lags are just sort of a basic part of, of monetary policy, but we will be thinking about them. Um, but we won't be, you know, I, I, I think we'll be considering them but because it's appropriate to do so. Let me say this. It's, it's, um, it is very premature to be thinking about pausing. So people, when they hear lags, they think about, about a pause. It's very premature, in my view, to, to, to think about or be talking about pausing our rate hike. We, we, have, we have a ways to go. Our policy, we need ongoing rate hikes to get to, um, to, to that level of, of sufficiently uh, Restrictive, and we, we don't. Of course, we don't really know exactly where that is. We have a sense, and we'll write down in September. Sorry, in the December meeting, a new, a new uh, summary of economic projections, which updates that. But I would expect us to continue to update it based on what we're seeing with incoming data. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, uh, Chair Powell. Neil Irwin with Axios. Um, as you look around the economy, the clearest impact of your tightening so far has been on housing, maybe some, some venture-funded tech companies. Uh, it's been relatively mm -hmm. narrow in terms of labor market, consumer demand, a lot of sectors you don't see a ton of effect. Uh, is the uh, pathway and uh, channels through which monetary policy works changing? Is it narrower than it used to be? And on housing in particular, are you uh, at all worried that, uh, that you're crimping housing supply in ways that might uh, cause problems down the road? I, I don't know that the channels through which policy works have changed that much. I would say a big channel is the labor market, and the labor market is very, very strong, very strong. And households, of course, have, have uh, strong balance sheets. And you, so we go into this with, how, with, with um, a strong labor market and excess demand in the labor market, as you can see through many different things, and also uh, with households who have strong spending power um, built up. So it may take time. It, it, it may take resolve. It may take patience. It's likely to, to get inflation down. It may, I think you see from our forecasts and others that it will take some time for inflation to come down. It'll take time, we think. Uh, uh, so, sorry, was I getting to your question there? <laughs> you told them to yell, just forgot, yeah, so, like, ramp, like, answered a part of the question but didn't answer the full thing. <laughs> uh. All right, go ahead. 
inflation to come down. It'll take time, we think. Uh, uh, so, sorry, was I getting to your question there? Oh, housing, the housing part of it. Yeah, so, you know, we, we look at housing, of course, housing is um, significantly affected by these higher rates, which are really back where they were before the global financial crisis. They're not historically high, but they're much higher than they've been. And you're seeing housing activity decline, you're seeing housing prices growing at a faster rate, and in some parts of the country declining. Um, you know, I would say housing uh, was, the housing market was, was very overheated for the couple of years after the pandemic as demand increased and rates were low. Uh, we all know the stories of how, how overheated the housing market was, prices going up, many, many bidders, um, uh, no conditions, that kind of thing. So the housing market needs to get back into a, a balance between supply and demand. We're, we're well aware of, the, of, the, uh, of what's going on there. You know, from a financial stability standpoint, we didn't see in this cycle the kinds of um, poor credit underwriting that we saw before the global financial crisis. Interesting. Housing credit was uh, was very carefully, much more carefully managed by the lenders. So um, it's a very different situation and, and doesn't present potential financial, doesn't appear to present uh, financial stability issues. But that was really, really kind of cool thing that he just said right there. So it's something I've been saying, we, we, I think me and Charlie have been saying this in the courses for a long time that, you know, this this market cycle pump was not a real estate. I mean, obviously, really, every all assets inflated. But because our last the last time we had a financial crisis was a housing crisis, it's still pretty, um, pretty entrenched in people's minds. So the people who would write these kind of bullshit like ninja loans, right? No credit, no income, no problem. <laughs> um, that wasn't happening. So it was more of a, it was actually more of a like legitimate good loans being written out for the housing market. It's just that the house, all assets are really increasing in price. So the, so the real estate prices still got kind of out of whack, but they, but they got out of whack just like everything else did. So this wasn't, this isn't a specific, this pump was not a specific housing pump, even though when housing started pumping, it did help out the rest of the economy, obviously, because um, the, I mean, I would say probably like 20, 25% of the economy is housing. So it was pretty, it was a, it was a really relatively good thing now. Um, they are trying to they are uh, trying to soften that up because they, they did say that the the housing prices were getting to a point where it was kind of making it hard for people to get into a house, right? So obviously, people who had money who could lock in that zero percent rate for for a housing for a thirty year fixed, which is kind of you know what something we actually like, even though like a lot of people complain about America, like yo. Other countries have a horrible, like horrible way to actually buy properties. It's pretty bad, man. Like in Canada, it's like 10, 15 year mortgages and around the world, it is like these short term mortgages or if they have a long term 30 year mortgage, it's like the interest rate will stay there for five years and then go to the new one and then lock in for five years. So it's, it's this weird one where like in America, we can lock in our rates for 30 years and they ain't moving which is really cool. But so the, um, this wasn't Jerome Powell that said this, but this was a really interesting sort of thing where like, like everyone's talking about like everyone, shout out to all the dudes who like were sitting on 0% interest, 0% on their houses, but, uh, or the lowest rate ever in history, which is like, I think it was like three point, I think most people could get it for 3.5, 3.3. Some people were, if like they had like God tier, like level, like stuff they were able to get them for maybe 2.8, 2 9% for a house, but almost nobody, maybe a corporation or so. Um, they were able to get money that cheap. Um, pretty, pretty much like, but the housing price, but people who were locking in those rates were locking in the rates at a house, at a house price that was very high. So remember it, it is, uh, can you full screen me? 
so it it is it, it always is this constant teeter totter of like like if you could get a house at like nothing at like let's just say uh, that same eight hundred thousand dollar house that I talked about earlier in the um, in the interview right or in the uh, in the review video, um, if you could get that eight hundred thousand dollar house for four hundred thousand and the rates at zero, whew, you you lock it in for thirty years you're you're out here, but you kind of locked in eight hundred thousand dollar house that's now at seven hundred. At 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 uh, at zero, which is basically it's still very good, but but it hasn't, but it's still made it very hard. It's sort of still limited who could have gotten into those, those houses and stuff. And that asset it becomes not an asset; it becomes sort of an, a liability where the prices are still coming down. So you'll end up still kind of like eventually when the house when when everyone can eventually get to these houses when they're down forty percent. 30% from all time highs and then people start buying them up again they they are paying they are they are still paying more than the guy who bought it at 800 at zero right but still the the divide the divide isn't that much isn't that isn't that fucking gigantic as it, as it once was just because that 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 the people who bought the top and locked it in at the end there um still are paying a pretty a still a pretty high price because the house is still pretty expensive <laughs> We got two, yeah, two point. Shout out to straight to cryptos, like baby. Shit, we got two point six five. Yeah, baby. Sheesh. But those are arms, right? So you, I mean, you locked in a lower rate, but then it's going to go up. So at some point, it's going to cliff off, and then your rates are going to go like, like that. So, but sh whoa, Polyfez, man. Shout out to my boy. He's like, I got in a two point nine thirty year fix, baby. Sheesh. Shout out to my boys, man. Who sold the top, baby? That's guy gonna call selling the top, man. Uh, Franklin's a shout out to my boys with the VA loans, baby. <laughs> VA loans are clutch. Hey, you should. You guys deserve that stuff, right? You I mean you you sacrifice for our country? You should get perks for that. Definitely, right? Like you you take you took responsibility for this country to make sure that it's safe. You are. I think you are well deserving of like special bonuses and perks for protecting our country. I totally. I'm totally with that. Hundred fucking percent. Shout out to all my soldiers out there, man. But um, yeah, uh, full screen again, man. So it, it always is it always is this um this kind of this kind of teeter tot between like you're trying to get the best deal so like it, the best deal and stuff right so um, sometimes like if the, let's just say the house prices crash down to like f like six hundred or five hundred thousand dollars and the rates are at ten percent right I mean you have, you just have to see how much the 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 pricing is I mean maybe at some point we might end up doing that where I'll end up having like calculating maybe eight hundred thousand dollar house at like three percent. And what the mortgage would be on that versus a six hundred thousand dollar house at ten percent or so, and then see the difference in terms of the payment. Uh, obviously, I do think, regardless of not the other guy, the guys at the top there, um, eight hundred thousand with three percent probably still are paying less a month, which is at the end of the day, if you're going to keep that as long term asset. But it does, it does kind of like it does mean that you really can't pull. It takes uh, as the prices are going down, you don't have equity in it very quickly. Where where if you buy the bottom. Um, you get equity quicker and you can pull money out of your properties, which a lot of people are very interested. So if you're, in terms of a long-term asset that you're keeping because you're trying to keep it for 30 years to put a sh roof over your head, fucking awesome if you bought the top there. I mean, if you bought the top and locked in that low rate. But in terms of you're trying to pull money out because a lot of Americans and a lot of people, the way they, they kind of make money is that they, as their assets appreciate, then they pull the, different, the, the difference in the little in, the in-between right there. So like you buy a house for 600,000 and then it goes back up to 100,000, you can pull out 100 Gs out that bitch. Probably like eighty thousand, but that eighty thousand—that's how people end up spending. That's like the wealth effect from from real estate, basically. Interesting, interesting. So, uh, full screen. Sorry. All right. For the global financial crisis, housing credit was uh, was very carefully, much more carefully managed by the lenders. So, um, it's a very different situation and, and doesn't present 
potential financial doesn't appear to present uh, financial stability issues. But um, no, we, we do understand that, that that's really where a very big effect of our policies is. Yep. Actually, let me say one more thing. Josie Wells had a really good comment in the in the chat. People will be losing equity as rates tighten, so prices will come down. And this is kind of, if anyone of you guys remember Celsius or, or Voyager or any of these things where you could borrow money in your crypto and you're able to pull money out. So these these things have a, something called the positive feedback loop. As the prices go up higher, you have more money to pull, which means that you pull money, so you speculate. So it, it, it keeps, so as the prices keep going higher, woo, the prices keep going, it, it, it makes things red hot and then you like, you zoom up. We're like a negative feedback loop because the prices are going down you have less equity you can less pull less money out so you're less likely to do it and then as as the rates tighten it like it the prices keep coming down and then eventually you hit this point where you're under you're under where you had equity in your house and then you're now underwater right and then this this is another way they're destroying the wealth effect by look at that evil face he has my god look at he looks like evil grandpa like that wasn't even intentional look at that he's like <laughs> Oh my god, he looks so evil right there, man. He's like the evilest grandpa right there. He's like, I'm gonna fuck up your equity in the house. Oh my god. Alright, full screen. <laughs> Jesus, look at that face, man. Sheesh! With the evil right there, God bless America. Cucking out the world. Hi, Victoria Guida with Politico. Um, I wanted to ask about the labor market. Uh, you, you mentioned early on again um, that job openings are very high compared to available workers. And I'm just curious, um, to what extent you do and don't draw a signal from that? So um, for example, if wage growth is slowing and if maybe the unemployment rate starts to tick up, Will that make you sort of decrease your focus on job openings? What do you see? Are, are wages what's really important? How are you thinking about the labor market as it relates to inflation? So we talk a lot about, about vacancies and the vacancy to unemployed rate, but it's just one. It's just another data series. It's been, it's been you know, unusually important in this cycle because it's been so out of line, but so has quits, so have wages. So we, we look at you know, a very wide range of data on the, on the, on the uh, labor market. So, uh, you know, I'd start with unemployment, which is typically the single statistic you would look to is at a 50-year low, 3.5%. We're getting really nothing in, la in labor supply now. We had, I think, a very small increase this year, which we had really thought, we thought we would get that back. Most analysts thought we would get some labor supply coming in. So what, he, what he's talking about right here is basically now, she said something really interesting, too, which is, like, basically, like, labor force and participation isn't really going up, so there's, like, there's all these jobs that need to be filled, but at the same time, too, no, not a lot of new jobs are actually being created as well. So, obviously, I think that's just because the numbers are all skewed and everything like that, um, as well as we're still coming out of the whole Android 19 epidemic. Can't say the other words, you guys. The Android 19 epidemic and that Android 19 epidemic, what it, it caused is it caused a lot of people to start working from home. So there's there's this, actually this mis there's I th I think there's a lot of people probably working from home now that are reporting on taxes or doing all kinds of other stuff because and because what happened I mean, like dude you you gave a large swath of Americans who were trapped inside of offices the freedom to like work from home and a lot of people don't want to come back to the house and that's both on the Republican and Democrat side on both sides of the I mean shit it's I mean I, and I bet you on top of that too you're probably gonna as the economy gets tighter and tighter you're gonna have a lot of females just quit their jobs and and just stay at home you know it's gonna be the, and shout out to all my dudes out here the sugar I mean the uh the, what salt daddies yeah the salt daddies shout out to all my salt daddies out here man uh, you got to keep these women working hard and stuff so you can stay at home playing FIFA, baby. Sheesh. 
full screen it. We look at you know a very wide range of data on the on the on the uh, labor market. So uh, you know I'd start with unemployment, which is typically the single statistic you would look to is at a 50-year low, 3.5%. We're getting really nothing in, la in labor supply now. We had, I think, very small increase this year, which we had really thought, we thought we would get that back. Most analysts thought we would get some labor supply coming in. You mentioned wages, so I guess I would characterize uh, that as sort of a mixed picture. It's true with average hourly earnings you see, so I would call it a flattening out at a level that's well above the level that would be consistent over time with 2% inflation you know, assuming a reasonable productivity uh, there. With, with, the, with the ECI reading this week, again, a mixed picture. The headline number was a disappointment. Let's just say it was, it was high. It didn't show a decline. There's some Sheesh. rays of light inside, the, you know, that if you look at private sector workers, that did come down, the compensation did come down. But overall, though, the broader picture is of, of, of an overheated labor market where demand substantially exceeds supply. Um, uh, job creation still exceeds, you know, the sort of the, the, the level that would hold the, the market where it is. So um, that's that's the picture. Do, do, do we see, I, you know, we keep looking for signs that, that sort of the beginning of a gradual softening is happening. And, you know, may, maybe that's there, but it, it's not it's not obvious to me because wages aren't coming down. They're just moving sideways at an elevated level, both ECI and average hourly earnings. Damn. Um, he's like, he, he wants to get rid of your jobs, and on top of that, he's trying to lower your wages too. So, <laughs> Matt, all this inflation, he's like, I'm trying to make sure y'all getting paid less. I'm trying to make sure you guys have less jobs. I'm trying to make sure that your stocks are in the shitter. I want real estate down 40%. And on top of that, fuck crypto. I want you poor. Don't listen to Charlie and Miguel. Don't buy the dip. I want you to wreck yourselves. Down only. I, you know, we, we want to see, we would love to see uh, vacancies coming down, quits coming down. They are coming down. Vacancies are below their all-time high, but, you know, not by as much as we thought because, and that, you know, the data series is volatile. We never take any one reading. We always look at, you know, two or three. So it's a mixed picture. I don't, I, I don't see the case for real softening just yet, but we look at, I guess I just, as I just showed you, we, we look at a very broad range of data on the labor market. So, so do you see wages as being a significant driver of inflation? Ooh. You know, I think wages have an effect on inflation, and inflation has an effect on wages. I think that's... All right, man, this is Jerome Powell on the ropes right here. This is him alleying this question. He's like... Whoosh, because they're so careful about talking about... Like, they always are very... The one thing they're always very gentle on is wages... And unemployment. They, they say things to make, like, he is basically saying, does it cause inflation? Uh, uh, because that, like, if they say, like, oh, yeah, we want it to look, we want to make everyone have less, get paid less. And, th and then most people are like, me paid less? That's bad. Wow. I mean, it, anyone can understand that thing. So they're always like, no, 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 it doesn't cause inflation. You know, we want people to earn a lot of money and stuff. Oh, yeah, but secretly, we want to rug them down. <laughs> God, man, this this money game is so dirty sometimes, man. But it's but like I'll say this, this game is less dirty than the boxing game. I'll tell you that much. I'm gonna have M to the K on pretty soon. Shout out to my boy M to the K. But um, dude, the boxing game, dude, boxing is the dirtiest. Like I've 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 been in a lot of industries, man. Boxing's the dirtiest sport in this space. Like fucking crooks.
crooks. I, I've only had like two encounters with like with like some managers inside inside of boxing and stuff, and they both tried to, they try to rip us off every time. Like, mo God damn! All right, full screen this thing, man. Let's go back. Now, what? Now I want. Now watch it with the context that he's trying to dodge the like. Yeah, uh, d does does increasing people's paychecks. Uh, in cross inflation because it does of course right but, but they're like oh, noel not entirely no i mean like because they don't want to like sort of say that they're trying to like make sure that everyone's paycheck gets smaller because they're trying to curb inflation by any means necessary and of course dude, i'm trying to give you guys this is the play-by-play -play. i'm trying to make sure that like, i'm trying to uh, explain it in ways that that makes sense to me and would make sense to you guys and, and i'm using all types of just kind of i mean i'm gonna come out with some stuff out the left field that you're gonna be like laughing and be like miguel that's the craziest shit i've ever heard anyone say about this but it gets the point across like for me i don't care looking dumb when i say something the whole thing is i want to make sure that you guys understand it and then once you guys understand it beautiful i've taught you guys this is this is exactly what i want for you guys let's go I don't see the case for real softening just yet, but we look at, I guess I just, as I just showed you, we, we look at a very broad range of data on the labor market. So, so do you see wages as being a significant driver of inflation? You know, I think wages have an effect on inflation and inflation has an effect on wages. I think that's always been the case. There's always a, a going back and forth. The question is, is that really elevated right now? I don't think so. I don't think wages are, are the principal story of, of why prices are going up. I don't think that. Um, I also don't think that we see a wage price spiral. Um, but again, it's not something you can, you know, once you see it, you're, you're in trouble. So uh, we don't want to see it. We, we want wages to go up. We just want them to go up at a, at a level that's sustainable with, and consistent with 2% inflation. We want you guys to get rich, but not too rich. We want you guys to be okay but not not out here fucking like stunting but at the same time do i kind of get it yeah i mean you don't want to play but you gotta you gotta remember at the end of the days right how does the federal government how does it get its money it prints its money it they don't need to tax you really what the reason for taxation is so inflation doesn't get out of control because they've spent your money already when they when they when they when they when they do this whole like thing where like okay let's balance the budget or in which they don't and let, let's raise let's raise let's raise the, uh, the the ceiling on how much money we can go over in terms of the budget and shit all right cool they print the money and they they spend it so they're like oh fuck we've already spent all this money shit how do we stop the inflation we got to make sure we tax out we got to take this money out of the economy so so we spent your money already fuck we, we've printed all this money Let, let's tax you to take that money down a little bit so we because that way because we've spent the money first because if they didn't tax you then you could actually get inflation up and then the inflation is caused by them printing money that they that they didn't get from the market that's why like i don't like when when uh states tax you right even though like i you know whatever side of the like states can't print their money right so they have to tax people and then whatever they spend is from what they tax from the citizens of that state where the federal government they get their money from the fucking brrr, the, the the money printer and then they tax your ass afterwards to to make sure that you guys don't inflate the economy because they're buying shit in the in the backgrounds through secret programs and stuff and have all kinds of i mean they're spending stuff that they officially announced and then they have this whole like shadow stuff that they're buying on the low that they, they don't want you to know about yep let's go back has an effect on wages i think that's always been the case there's always a, a going back and forth. The question is, is that really elevated right now? I don't think so. 
I don't think wages are, are the principal story of, of why prices are going up. I don't think that. Um, I also don't think that we see a wage price spiral. Um, but again, it's not something you can, you know, once you see it, you're, you're in trouble. So uh, we don't want to see it. We, we want wages to go up. We just want them to go up at a, at a level that's sustainable with, and consistent with 2% inflation. And, you know, we think we can, we do think that given the, you know, given the data that we have, that this labor market can soften without having to soften as much as history would indicate through the, through the unemployment channel. It can soften through job openings declining. We think there's, there's a room for that, but, you know, we won't know that. that that'll, be, that'll be discovered empirically. That was some. That was some. So uh, historically, throughout the history, yeah, we we do this. People are going to lose jobs, but we think that we're, through our special raising, that we, we think that it's possible that that people would just create less jobs but keep the same people and staff. But here, as a business owner, right? People like business owners obviously want to keep on staff to keep growing. But if things are really bad, like owners will fire employees in order to make sure that they keep having the revenue coming in and their paycheck, their paycheck staying the same. And fire it now that's kind of a negative thing not all employers do that but some a lot of especially smaller businesses because most people are hired on in small firms i'm talking about people they're the biggest employers in america are small businesses with less than 100 employees that's the vast majority of people are working for these people are, are working for those small for those small that's why i've always like supported small businesses and stuff right because that's really where most people are are, are employed in america or in small businesses under 100 employees. And technically, I guess their classification would be under 400 employees as a small business. I'd say anyone that has 100 plus employees, is, I think it's a pretty big, that's a huge business, especially in 2022. But it, it, it's, uh, that it, fuck, man, that is such a mind fuck. <laughs> Woo. All right, full screen, let's go. And, you know, we think we can, we do think that given the, you know, given the data that we have, that this labor market can soften without having to soften as much as history would indicate through the, through the unemployment channel. It can soften through job openings declining. We think there's, there's room for that, but, you know, we won't know that. that that'll, be, that'll be discovered empirically. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Kayla Tausche from CNBC. Um, earlier uh, last month, the United Nations warned that there could be a global recession if central banks didn't change course. The new UK prime minister warned of a profound economic crisis there. And I'm wondering how the Fed is weighing international developments in light of uh, a very strong economy here in the US that would seem to be bucking those trends. So of course, we. Um we keep um, close tabs on economic uh, developments and also geopolitical developments that are relevant to the economy abroad. We're in very frequent contact with our uh, with our um, foreign counterparts, both um, you know through the IMF meetings and and the regular meetings with central banks that we have. And I have one this weekend uh, with with uh, many many central bankers. So we're in touch with all of that. Um, so I guess what it's, you know, it's clear, clearly a time, a difficult time in the global economy. We're seeing, um, uh, you know, the, we're seeing, you know, very high inflation in Europe significantly because of high energy prices related to the, the war in Ukraine. And, um, you know, we're seeing uh, China's having issues with the zero COVID policy, and, um, you know, much slower growth than we're used to seeing. So we're, we're seeing 
we see those difficulties. The strong dollar is is a challenge for some countries, but you know we we have it, and we, we we take all of that into account in our models. We think about the spillovers and that sort of thing. Here in the United States, we have a strong economy, and we have an economy where inflation is running at five percent core PCE inflation, which is a, a really good indicator of what's going on uh, for us. Is the way we see it is is running at five point one percent on a twelve month basis, and sort of similar to that on a three six and nine month basis. So we know that we need to use our tools to get inflation under control. The world's not going to be better off if we fail to do that. We, that's a task we need to do. Price stability, st stability in the United States is a good thing for the global economy over a long period of time. Price stability is the kind of thing that, that, that pays dividends for our economy for decades, hopefully. Even though it may be difficult to, to get it back, getting it back is something that, that, gives, that pr provides value to the people we serve for the long so he just said, fuck your shit. Fuck the world. Fuck the free world. It's all about United States, baby. Shoo! Jerome said, fuck your shit. He said, I don't give a fuck about China. I don't care about Europe. I don't care about Asia. Screw that shit. It's all about USA, baby. Made in America. Gosh, damn, did you hear that shit? Woo! He was basically, that was the most bracken shit ever. I mean, if he was from Chicago, man, it would have been wild, bro. Oh, that was right. That was crazy. Hit the like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell. He said, fuck your couch. He says, he basically was on his nonsense. like, I know... I know Europe is cucked because of Russia. I know the UK is getting pounded right now because the Queen died. I know China's growing slower than ever. Hee <laughs> hee. Uh, because of the, he said. <laughs> he said. He said. He said. I, I know China's growing slower than usual and stuff because of the uh, the uh, Android 19 epidemic and stuff. But and then basically dropped a hee <laughs> hee at the end. Oh my god, bro, just, this is the thing, you have to know how to listen for these things, but he was basically going this giant, he just went on this giant tirade of basically saying like, oh, they have these problems, they have this problem, but hey, America continues to have a strong economy, and then we'll do whatever to protect our dollar, because long term, if we grow good, the rest of the world does good. We cough, they, they, catch, they catch bubonic plague. Damn, son. Hit another Pepe, man, that shit was wild. And shout out to Chris S. Houston, Texas, baby. Give me a shout out, DCC. There it is, man. Nice hat, bro. I like that. I hope you're wearing a bolo tie. <laughs> All right, let's go back to Jerome. I, I, we're going to play that back from the beginning and just listen to what that context, uh, basically, that he's just like, he's kind of pimp slapping the rest of the world, just saying, I don't care. Clearly a time, a difficult time in the global economy. We're seeing um, 
uh, you know, the, we're seeing you know very high inflation in Europe, significantly because of high energy prices related to the, the war in Ukraine, and um, you know we're seeing uh, China's having issues with the zero COVID policy and um, you know much slower growth than we're used to seeing. So we're, we're seeing we see those difficulties. The strong dollar is is a challenge for some countries, but you know we we have it and we, we we take all of that into account in our models. We think about the spillovers and that sort of thing. Here in the United States, we have a strong economy, and we have an economy where inflation is running at 5%, core PCE inflation, which is a, a really good indicator of what's going on uh, for us, is the way we see it, is, is running at 5.1% on a 12-month basis, and sort of similar to that on a 3-6 and 9-month basis. So we know that we need to use our tools to get inflation under control. The world's not going to be better off if we fail to do that. We, that's a task we need to do. Price stability, stability in the United States is a good thing for the global economy over a long period of time. Price stability is the kind of thing that, that, that pays dividends for our economy for decades, hopefully. Now, I want to pause this just because this comment is so... Josie Wales said, fuck your third world problems. We got 8% inflation, bitches. <laughs> Oh man, there's so, you, you guys are killing it with some of the comments in the chats. You guys, you guys are oh my god, you guys are amazing. Even though it may be difficult to to get it back, getting it back is something that that gives that pr provides value to the people we serve for the long run. If I could just follow up on that, thank you. Um, thank you. The Fed has acknowledged in the past that. Uh, that the tools that you have don't affect things like energy and food prices that stem from some of those conflicts overseas, and they're some of the biggest pain points for consumers. So as you pursue the current path that you've outlined, is there a risk that some of those prices simply don't come down? So we, we don't directly affect, um, uh, for the most part, food and energy prices, but the demand channel does affect them just at the margin. The thing about the United States is that we also have strong, in, in many other jurisdictions, the, princip the pro principal problem really is energy. In the United States, we also have a demand issue. We've got an imbalance between demand and supply, which you see in many parts of the economy. So our tools are well suited to work on that problem, and that's, that's what we're doing. You're, you're, you're right, though. We, we don't, you know, the, um, the price of oil is set globally, and um, it's not something we can affect. Uh, I think by the actions that we take, though, we, we help keep, um, you know, longer-term inflation expectations anchored and keep the public believing in 2% inflation by the things that we do, even, at even in times Wow. When, whoa, 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 when, wait, wait. Did I just hear him say that? Keep the public believing there's a 2% inflation rate. Wait, did I hear that right? Wait, hold up. Wait, wait. I don't think I heard this on the first... Wait, I got to hear that again. Wait. It's not something we can affect. Uh, I think by the actions that we take, though, we, we help keep, um, you know, longer-term inflation expectations anchored and keep the public believing in 2% inflation by the thing. Ooh. Yo, 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 yo. We just, we just catch him slipping? He didn't say 2% inflation. He said we make people believe there's 2% inflation. Damn. <laughs> that may be one of the first times I've ever caught Jerome was like really slipping. That was a hard slip. Yo. Yo, dude. We get a little sneak preview possibly in a couple of meetings from now of what they're possibly talking about because of the CPI changing. 
that the two that two or four percent uh, CPI number that's going to happen after they change the way they view it, it's all fucking for the birds. It's all bullshit. It's all Daenerys dragons. We'll, we'll, let's run that back. Dude, we gotta get we gotta get one of those noises to like run stuff back. Uh, but let's go back a little bit. I need to hear. I need this man just really said that. It, wow. The price of oil is set globally, and um, it's not something we can affect. Uh, I think by the actions that we take, though, we we help keep um, you know longer term inflation expectations anchored, and keep the public believing in two percent inflation by the things that we do, even at even in times when when energy is part of the story of why inflation is high. Hi, Chair Powell, Janelle Marte with Bloomberg. So the Fed um, is facing two more ethics-related incidents um, with the revision of the financial statements from President Bostic and the uh, President Bo This chick sounds Latina. <laughs> she sounds like a young Latina bitch. <laughs> chick, sorry, my bad, my bitch. Shout out to Bloomberg. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go back. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Chair Powell. Janelle Marte with Bloomberg. So the Fed um, is facing two more ethics-related incidents um, with the revision of the financial statements from President Bostic and the, uh, President Bullard speaking at a closed event. So um, some senators, like Elizabeth Warren, are saying that this is sign, a sign of greater um, ethics problems at the Fed. Uh, could you talk about what this does to the public's trust in the bank and what the Fed is doing to prevent this kind of behavior from becoming um, common? Sure. So you're right. The public's trust is really the Fed's and any central bank's most important asset. And anytime one of us, one of, the, one of the policymakers, violates or falls short of those rules, we do risk undermining that trust. And we take that very seriously. We do. Um, so at the beginning of our meeting yesterday, actually, we had a committee discussion of the full committee on the importance of holding ourselves individually and collectively accountable for knowing and following the high standard that's set out in our existing rules with respect to both personal investment activities and external communications. Uh, and um, we've taken a number of steps, and um, I would just say we do understand how important those issues are. I would say that our new, our new um, investment um, uh, program that we have is, is up now and running, and, and actually it was through that that um, the problems with, with uh, President Bostic's disclosures were discovered when he filed his new disclosures. That's, you know, we, we now have a central group here at the Board of Governors it looks into disclosures and follows them and approves people's disclosures and also all of their trades. Any trade anyone has to make who's covered has to be approved, pre-approved. And there's a lag. It has to be pre-approved 40 day, 45 days before it happens. So there's no ability to game market. So it's a really good system. It worked here. Um, and we, I think we all said to each other today, yesterday, actually yesterday morning, we recommitted to each other and to this institution to hold ourselves to the highest standards and, and, and avoid these. So this is a really interesting sort of thing they're talking about. So they're talking about like, uh, I don't know how it jumped to that basically. So he jumped from like talking about like the trust in the Fed and then it jumped into uh, basically then talking about not insider trading. <laughs> but um, they do have a really cool stance where basically if they want to do anything, if they want to move any of their money, they need to basically like send a form in and they can do it within 
it's 45 days or so. So there's like, there's like, there's a lag time between certain things that they can do. So they're, they're, they're very limited and that should be, imp that should be implemented probably in uh, to the Senate and the house of representatives as well. Anybody in government and stuff in high levels of government where they're, they're not allowed to do certain things like that. And they have to like send forms in and shit. That's pretty, that so, but it's not perfect either because if, if Jerome Powell knows exactly which way like things are going, he can just position his portfolio. So it's like, but it, it, it can you full screen me for a second? So that's a that's a really interesting sort of way to kind of look like what they're doing. Like I think it's probably the better. I, I think what they're doing is actually very good in terms of like we need a forty five day lag time. If like you know if 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 like let's just say the Federal Reserve is going to buy Apple, right? They would have to wait forty five days afterwards they did it before they could buy basically. So they so they can't be insider trading with info. But let's say Jerome Powell like knows nine months from now and they've all agreed nine months from now they're going to buy Apple. Jerome Powell could buy Apple. And then like, well, hey, it, I own that Apple before we even bought it. So it's just more of a, it's more of a longer term game and stuff, but at least it's a little more fair that way. That's actually not a terrible way to kind of do it. Uh, but, you know, especially if they're really planning and colluding with each other, and obviously they do and stuff in terms of, uh, and not in, a, and not in an evil way, they need to meet meetings and they kind of, just because and th what they tell the public is not what they're talking about internally, right? So internally they're probably cussing and doing all this crazy stuff and saying this and that and then projecting and probably already have one or two uh, moves already set in place and stuff. So even even inside the Fed, they're probably still inside of trading a little bit, but it's hard not to with information that they have and stuff. So I, I kind of understand. Interesting. Hmm. Let's go back a little bit. That was, that was, that was an interesting little thing. The problems with, with uh, President Bostic's disclosures were discovered when he filed his new disclosures. That's, you know, we, we now have a central group here at the Board of Governors it looks into disclosures and follows them and approves people's disclosures and also all of their trades. Any trade anyone has to make who's covered has to be approved, pre-approved. And there's a lag. It has to be pre-approved 40 day, 45 days before it happens. So there's no ability to game market. So it's a really good system. It worked here. Um, and we, I think we all said to each other today, yesterday, actually yesterday morning, we recommitted to each other and to this institution to hold ourselves to the highest standards and 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 avoid these problems. They're just saying like, we are not going to insider trade. <laughs> you know, on three, one, two, three, Fed. Shh. Like we're not going to inside trade, you guys. Promise. All right. And but the real meeting was probably because yo, this guy kind of made us look bad, so we got to make sure and set that we're not doing some insider trading bullshit. All right. On three, one, two, three. Take everyone's money. Shh. Update on the investigations that are pending. I don't. So, uh, you know, as you know, I um, I uh, referred uh, the matter concerning uh, President Bostic to the Inspector General. And once that happens, I I don't I don't discuss it with the Inspector General or with anybody. It's just the Inspector General has he has the ability to do investigations. We don't really have that, so that's what he's doing. <clears throat> Michael McKee from uh, Bloomberg Television and Radio. Uh, earlier this year, you touted the three-month uh, bill yield out to 18 months as the yield curve with 100% explanatory power. And you said, quote, if it's inverted, that means the Fed's going to cut, which means the economy is weak. That curve is only two basis points away from inversion now. So I'm wondering why you are so confident that you have not over-tightened, particularly given mm -hmm. that uh, rates work with a lag. Well, uh, so we do monitor the near-term uh, forward spread. You're right. 
and it, uh, that's been our preferred measure. We think it, you know, just empirically, it, it dominates the, the ones that people tend to look at, which is twos, tens, and things like that. So it's not inverted. Um, and also, you have to look at why things, you know, why the, why the, uh, the rate curve is, uh, is doing what it's doing. It can be doing that because it, affects, it expects cuts or because it expects inflation to come down. In this case, you, if you're in a situation where the markets are pricing in significant declines in inflation, that's going to affect the forward curve. So, yes, we monitor it. You're, you're right. Um, and uh, that's what I would say. Uh, if I could follow up. Um, you also said uh, several meetings ago that the risk of doing too little outweighed the risk of doing too much. Is what you're trying to tell us today is that that risk assessment has changed a little bit? Well, what's happened is time has passed, and we've raised interest rates by 375 basis points. I would not, I, I would not change a word in that statement, though. I, th I think until we get inflation down, um, you'll be here. Well, what's happened is time has passed, and we've raised interest rates by 375 basis points. I would not, I, I would not change a word in that statement, though. I, th I think until we get inflation down. Um, you'll be hearing that from me. So, so right now, they're kind of these two reporters are kind of challenging and basically like, well, you've said it yourself the inflation. I mean, the, uh, the the numbers lag lag for a while, right? So, how do we know that you're not over tightening right now and that you shouldn't change course? Well, he said, well, bitch, I'm Gucci Mane. I don't care. Uh, well, he's what, what he's what he's really saying is, well, it, we'd rather over tighten than under tighten because if we get this thing wrong, there's so much bad financial implications to the to the world to the entire economy and stuff so we're willing to over tighten for a little bit longer and then we before we have to really see change in the numbers and stuff before we stop tightening and stuff so interesting yeah those are like the first two guys have kind of asked like a little like kind of they're kind of hard like not hardball but that's as hardball as probably you can get with the fed guy and stuff because like a lot of these reporters are vetted out and stuff so and I, i'm not sure if their questions are given to jerome ahead of time but they are, they are, they are um, the, the people that are asking them questions are like pretty contro not controlled, but like very planned and they're not to ask too much of a wild question. But that was a pretty spicy question from those two guys. Again, if, if, um, if we over tighten and we don't want to, you know, we want to get this exactly right. But if, if we over tighten, uh, then we have the ability with our tools, which are powerful to, as we showed at the beginning of the, of the uh, pandemic episode, we can support economic activity strongly if that happens, if that's necessary. On the other hand, if you, if you make the mistake in the other direction and you let this drag on, then it's a year or two down the road and you're realizing inflation behaving the way it can, you're realizing you didn't actually get it, you have to go back in. By then, the risk really is that it has become entrenched in people's thinking. And the, and, you know, the record is that the employment costs, the, the cost to the people that we don't want to hurt, you know, uh, they go up with the passage of time. That's that's really how I look at it. So um, that that isn't going to change. What what has changed though? You're right. Is we're farther along now, and I think as as we're farther along, we're we're now focused on on that. Uh, you know, what's what's the place? What's the level we need to get to, to to rates? And you know, I don't know what we'll do when we get there. By the way, we you know, it doesn't. We'll, we'll have to see. There's been no decision or discussion around exactly what what steps we would take at that point, but. The first thing is to is to find your way there. Yeah, and let's end it right there. That's actually a really so. Basically, he's saying we, once we get to that point where we we start softening on rates and stuff, we don't know what we're going to do from that point. But they're going to print money. They're, what what they're going to do 
is they're going to start printing money, try to keep the rates here. So that either so if the inflation is really going bad, what they'll do, or the economy is really collapsing and the numbers really everything goes down, then at that point they'll start printing money, maybe keep the rates there, and then slowly start decreasing the rates. They may have two options: either print money, keep the rates high, or start lowering the rates and not print money. And then at some point have to print money. <laughs> so some they're going to print money and lower the rates at some point, but it's more of a game of like when they're just going to keep the rates at that level and start printing money and stuff. So. Um, yeah, let me know you, what, you, what you guys think in the chat. Type one in the chat and see if you guys want me to do more of these type of videos. I'm kind of experimenting with um, doing more reaction videos. I mean, I haven't really done too many of them in the past, but I mean, I've gotten like ton I've gotten tons of requests over the years to start doing these type of videos. And um, if you guys find this valuable, let me know, man. Hit like and subscribe, man. And be sure to join the Citadel, you guys, as well as Crypto Mindset. Quarter four goes live and goes on sale november 18th you guys so if you guys want um access and stuff go to crypto mindset course dot access and leave your uh yeah thank you uh travis yeah and leave your email address right here and you will get a notification november 18th when crypto mindset quarter four goes live uh we're gonna be talking about a lot of macro as well as we're gonna be trying to get the bottom and buy a lot of these coins at the bottom and stuff like the, the re, we're, this is kind of like a crypto mindset quarter one quarter four quarter one because usually we would have done it earlier but we lagged it out because we think we can um th there's a specific reason why we launch it at this point we, we've actually launched the course a, a month a month late so we're able to actually kind of get you guys in the right position so we can buy these bottoms on these coins and then also kind of swing trade along because we, we i i really truly believe we you can take it down now um i true i truly 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 believe that we are going to get kind of a weird pump up in the middle of next year so i think we're going to get something like a 20 i would say like a 2019 where we hit three thousand dollar bitcoin and then we pumped to 14 and then crashed to six and then from there we start slowly going back up and then we really go into a bull market and it, I, and from what i'm me and charlie are seeing right now we, we kind of see something like this because of the fed because when the fed the fed is going to pause rates sometime in 2023 when they do that the market's going to go like that and when it turbo charges up at that point um we are basically looking we're basically looking at um a big reflation and then i think the cpi number starts shooting back up and then from there oh crap they're gonna have to nuke the market down again so i so we could see a, a big like dip down 23 whoo, and then back down higher low and then from there we we're, we're off we're off to the races for the crypto market and stuff but thank you guys so much i'll leave i'll leave you guys um the place where you can leave your email address right here so you guys can notify when the course goes live and stuff but thank you so much my next stream will be tomorrow at i think 8 p.m or 7 p.m tomorrow and stuff like that we're, we're uh, right now we're scheduling some guests right now for the rest of the week and so we got m to the k coming out coming out this sometime this week and i'll see you guys later man peace